The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things on heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy in Christ so powerfully works in me. Recently, when Queen Elizabeth died, and by the way, it's, it's amazing to me how far-reaching the loss of the Queen of England has been, even on American citizens. Now, Brenda and I felt sort of drawn to that because of the years that we spent in Kenya, which was a former British colony, and by the way, she discovered her father had died and that she was to be the new queen while she was in Kenya. And that is, that's a part of the history that we learned in that country. It was reported at her death, she was quoted as having said something about her crown. Turns out, with some research, someone posted again and and gave a correction that it was actually Queen Victoria who said, not Queen Elizabeth, but Queen Victoria who said, Oh, I so look forward to his return because at that time I can bow my knee and cast my crown at his feet. Wow, what an attitude. Would to God that the modern leaders in our nation would have that same attitude about the Lord Jesus Christ. The passage that we're looking at today, 
Um, I've titled it, it, it is a part of the series from Paul's letter to Colossa. Um, Jesus is the one and he is enough. To me, that is the theme of the entire book of Colossians, the letter to Colossa, is that Jesus is the one and he is enough. It is about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. That's the more theological term. This is the one that, that sort of rings true with me. But the, the sermon today is about crown him Lord of all. I'm just thinking during this song this morning, what is your favorite hymn? Now, I, I know Shelley, I picked on Shelley last week, and you're not going to escape today, but I know what her favorite contemporary song is for our group to sing. And somewhere along the way, Aaron will say to her, we're singing your song this Sunday. What, what song is there that when you hear it, it immediately draws your heart and mind to praise God, to think of Him? By the way, all good hymns and all good contemporary Christian music, all praise choruses focus on Jesus. They do not focus on us. They focus on Him. You think about that. What song makes you want to dance to the glory of God? Some of you say, well, I never felt that way. I have. Maybe it's the years in Africa. I don't know. But so, I, I hear something, Joe, and it just thrills my heart. And, and I, I just, there are times I want to shout. I want to dance. Kim, I want to run in place. Because I get so excited about who He is and what He has done for me. I could sum up my entire sermon this morning in who He is what He's done for me, and what I would love to be able to do for Him. Now, you don't get off that easy. You get to listen to the, to the entire sermon. Um, but crown Him Lord of all. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Crown him, and Aaron's already stole some of. He's already stolen some of my thunder. That the point is not that you make him Lord. He is already Lord, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, God above all gods. He's already that, and you and I will not make him that because he already is. But is he that in your life? Is He that to you? Does He sit upon the throne of your life and your heart? And the point of the message today, the point of the hymn we're about to hear, is for you to recognize that He is King of kings, Lord of lords, and to crown Him as Lord of your life. Sorry guys, that's probably that. Either that or it's coming unplugged at the back. Crown him Lord of Lords. Notice that he is the one. I said the hymn you're about to hear. 
the following verses that we're going to break down verse or phrase by phrase is one of the most magnificent hymns recorded in the entire Bible. It is about Jesus, entirely about Him. It reveals who He really is. But Gail, it's poetry. It's written in a form that a hymn would be sung. Somebody suggested that maybe Paul took a hymn that was written in his day and he included it in the letter. I think that's, it's just the opposite. I think that Paul wrote this by inspiration and he may have been no musician, but what he wrote became a hymn in the early churches. Here it is. First of all, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. God is spirit and he cannot be seen. But Jesus is that, that term, that image. It means the pressed out image. If you took the invisible God and used him as the model and you took the clay of flesh and blood and you took God and pressed him out into flesh and blood, what you have is Jesus. He is the pressed out image. He is the visible image of the invisible God. All that God is can be seen in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. I had a discussion with a missionary who should have known better. Grew up as a missionary kid. He, he, his theology should have been stronger. He asked the question, when did Jesus become God? And I, I, until that moment, Todd, I didn't know that there was a branch of theology that believed that the baby Jesus was not God. And there was at some point, was it when he was 12? Was it when he was 30? When did he become God? He always was. There's never been a moment in the history of creation that Jesus was not God. He even said to the Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the earth, before creation. He is the pre-existent God. He existed before all creation. He always has been and He always will be. That's why He said, Kim, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. I am before time and I am after time. I am eternal. And so He is supreme over all creation. In fact, He is the Creator. Because for through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realm, realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. He who created everything stepped into, in flesh and blood, His own creation. That's John uh, chapter 1. 
he came unto his own, that is his own things, but his own ones, his own people, rejected him. They did not receive him. But as many as received them, him, to them he gave the gift of eternal life. He gave them light. He gave us light. He was the creator. We are the created. But he loved us and gave himself for us. Not only did he create everything, but he holds all creation together. There's been some talk about the atom and the missing particle. You, you ever heard of that? The, the missing particle of the atom? Because the way that the electrons spin and the neutrons and the protons, the, the spinning of the atom should fly apart. What holds it together? I'm told by, you know, I, I read that there's not enough mass in the neutron and the proton to draw on the electrons that are spinning to hold it together. Something is holding the world together. It's Jesus, the Creator who created everything, did not create it and take His hands off. He's still holding the world together. By the way, can I step out of the sermon long enough to say to you personally, if you'll let Him, Jesus will hold your world together. No matter what difficulty you're in, no matter what you're going through, Jesus will hold your world together. If you'll let Him. He created all things, and by Him all things consist. That is, He holds all creation together. The next line of the hymn says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. Where is the denominational headquarters Who, of, of our churches? Missionary Baptist, Landmark Baptist, we... We don't often mention ABA here, but we are a church that fellowships in the American Baptist Association. And our, our secretary treasurer, he's not just the missions treasurer, he is the secretary treasurer of our association of churches. His office is in Texarkana. Is our headquarters in Texarkana? No. Our headquarters is in heaven. We don't have a pope. We don't need one. Jesus is the head of our church. Do we have bishops? Yes. The pastor of the church is called the bishop, that is the overseer of the church. Christ is the head, but he gives you pastors to lead the congregation. But it is Christ that's the head. I'm not the head of the church. You're not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of our church. He is our great shepherd. We are his body. Every local congregation of a scriptural church, a church that's really a church, is the body of Christ. By the way, there are a lot of churches today that don't even have a list of members. 
There's no such thing as a role. That's just wrong. Jesus planted a church, and they had a role of 120 members on the day of Pentecost. And all of a sudden, the role exploded because 3,000 were added to the church. Later, that number grew to 5,000. But they knew how many there were. And they knew who were members and who was not. And if you're attending a church where there's no such thing as membership, that is not a church modeled after the New Testament church. By the way, there's a difference. We have a deacons meeting coming this afternoon, and we're going through a book together, and I'll be talking with them about the difference in a cruise ship and a battleship. You know what the difference in a cruise ship and a battleship is? On a cruise ship, you have a crew, a staff, that makes sure you have a good time and they are there to serve you and all you do is come and enjoy it. There are some churches that are more cruise ship than battleship. On a battleship, it's all hands on deck. Everybody has their own job and they don't serve each other unless it's the cook serving the meal. They... They, everybody serves. Everybody has a task. And Joe, when they go on attack, I mean, when that's, that horn sounds, it's everybody to battle stations. And that's the way the church is supposed to be. That every part of the body has their position and has their work. He is the beginning, supreme over all, who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. Charles, the old translation was, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. The, don't misunderstand that terminology. He's not the first person who ever rose from the dead. But you know what he is? He's the first dead person that was ever raised from the dead, never to die again. I just did a series on Lazarus. Did I, did I ever think to mention that Lazarus died again? He was raised from the dead, but he died again. I was, my reading yesterday morning was um, in Spanish on the New Testament listening, and it was about the widow who Jesus raised her son. First person raised from the dead in the New Testament chronologically. But he died again. Jesus rose from the dead by the power of God and He's still alive and He's coming again to prove it. And He is an example for us that we, He who has the power to, rise, to raise Himself, to call His life back again, has the power to raise us. Glory! Glory! To He who is supreme and the first of creation who is Jesus to you all those things that I've just mentioned that from the scripture in Colossians all those things refute everything that the world says about Jesus Christ what do you say who is Jesus to you Will you make Him Lord and Master of your life? You say, well, I've been saved. Yep, that means you're saved. He is your Savior. But is He in charge? 
of your life? Are you just sort of nominally going through life, not really involved, not really committed? Listen, Jesus wants to be number one. He is the one. I capitalize that one for a reason. He is the one. These verses glorify the one who is worthy of all honor, all glory, and all praise. By the way, when we meet together, and some of you are not comfortable raising your hand, sometimes my hand just won't stay down. I'm, I'm not ambidextrous, Casey, so I don't raise both hands, but do you praise Him? Listen, every song we sing, no matter what style it is, every song we sing, we sing to the honor, the praise, and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what worship is all about. He's not only the one, He's the only. He's the only. Why is He the only? I mean, redemption Forgiveness and salvation can come from no one else, only Jesus. And that's true because He is fully God. The Bible says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Him. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, I could go into a Greek lesson, but I wouldn't get to finish my sermon this morning. But that word fullness is a word that's used again and again in the book of Colossians, and it has a powerful meaning. It means that God just filled that body of Jesus up with complete godliness. All that God is, He is. I started to say, Todd, He was, but He wasn't. He is. He was, He is, and He shall be. All that God is. All of it. All that God is. He is in Jesus Christ. He is fully God. He is also fully flesh and blood. Now that's, that seems contradictory. But that is the miracle of incarnation. That God came in the flesh and Jesus Christ was 100% God. And He was 100% human. Not a sinful human, mind you, but 100% human. All the heresies through history have cut one of those short. He's either not all the way God or He's not all the way human. He is 100% both fully God and fully human, yet without sin. He is that because He's the only, that's the only way that He could redeem us. He had to be like us. He, God had to become flesh and blood in order to pay the price for our sins. An angel could not do it. God the Spirit could not do it. It had to be flesh and blood. And that is the divine plan from, of God the Father since before creation. That Jesus, the only begotten one, would 
become flesh and blood for us so that he could make, pay, uh, make peace. He could redeem us. He could reconcile God to us by his blood on the cross. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself because he's God through the death of Christ in his physical body. You see, if he's not both God and human, he cannot be our Savior. He cannot be our Redeemer. He cannot reconcile us to God. He cannot make peace with God for us. But he has reconciled us to God. Let me get this across to you. Whatever age you are, if you can understand what I'm about to say, you need to be saved. We're born sinners, and we sin because we're sinners. But sin separates us from God. And so God had to make a way to bring us back to Him. And that way, that bridge, if you will, was Jesus. God became flesh, and He died on a cross to pay for your sins, and to make it possible for you to be brought back to God. And the way you do that is to believe everything I just said. To believe that Jesus is God. To believe that He died for your sins because you were separated from God. To believe that He is the way and you believe in Him as God, as human, who died for you. You receive Him by faith, and He makes peace with you to God the Father. He reconciled us to God. God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood, on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were separated. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, your sins. Yet now he has reconciled you. He's made peace for you to himself through the death of Christ and the physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. Isn't that great, Macy? We were sinners, and He reconciled us to God so that now, Rodney, we can stand before Him, and He sees no sin in us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That is salvation, and He is the only one who could do that. Not only is He... Lord, Savior, Reconciler, He is my Lord. Paul said, we are His servants. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. I, Paul, have been made, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. God has given me the responsibility of serving His church. Two things in that verse. We are servants of God. And you will serve God if He is the Lord of your life. 
that makes you a servant. Well, how do I serve him? I don't know. What does it say? Serve his church. You serve God by serving people. People he loves. You find a place of service in the body of Christ. And you serve that body of believers. Including reaching out to unbelievers. You serve God by serving people. We are servants. We suffer for him. There, uh, there's a whole sermon in this. I'll let Todd preach the sermon to you. Uh, Todd, Joe Morrell, a couple of years ago, preached a sermon on this passage, the best I've ever heard, on fulfilling the suffering of Christ in our own bodies. Uh, it's deep theology, but it's a beautiful message. I don't have time for it. I am glad when I suffer. What? I am glad when I suffer. I'm a, I don't have time for this. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to brag on Brenda again. Most of you do not know that Brenda got very sick on Thursday evening while she was in Mountain View. She could not swallow anything for about almost 24 hours. Nothing. That woman got up on Friday morning Understand, you may be critical of her doing this, but understand there is nobody else in that crowd who can share what she's going to share. Sometimes in ministry, we're put in unique situations where we are the only one who can say what needs to be said and bring the message in a way that the people will understand it. And that woman got up and brought three lessons on Friday even as sick as she was. And nobody knew it. Right, Todd? Nobody knew it. Except me. And then she started home. She drove home. And then I took her to the ER. And spent six hours there. And they gave her medication. And she's better. She's not well. What, what's the point? Because God's called us to suffer. Some of us won't even give up a ball game. Some of us won't give up a family outing. Some of us refuse to suffer even a little bit to serve God. God's called you to suffer. He's called you to be a servant. He's called you to sacrifice for Him the way He sacrificed for you. And sometimes, sometimes, that means suffering. And Paul said, I'm glad when I suffer. You have that attitude? I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the suffering of Christ that continue for his body, the church. We suffer for him, and then we share the secret of his gospel. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles also. You Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Here's the secret. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that the God of the universe comes down and lives inside you when you believe on Him. Wow! That, that's what makes me want to run in place. That's what gets me excited. I want to shout, glory! 
God who created all of this lives in my heart. That's the mystery. That's the secret of the gospel. A secret that was hidden for the ages and is now revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but he gives us assurance. And this is the secret Christ lives you. This lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Just as he lives inside of us one day, we will live with him in glory. This is the greatest mystery of all history and of all the universe is that through Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, dwells in everyone who receives Christ as Savior. And that truth, that truth is our source of assurance of eternal life. One last thing. He is everything. He is my Lord and He is everything to me. He's the reason for everything I do. He says, for this purpose, and I use a little different translation, the American Standard Bible. It is for this purpose I also labor, striving according to His power, which works mightily in me. Do you have a purpose in life? Listen, some people wander around without any purpose whatsoever, and you can tell it. Uh, what is that thing that they're posting all over Facebook? Some of you, you know, did this or did that, and you can tell it. Some people have no purpose in life. What is your purpose? There's no one so miserable as a human being who does not realize their purpose or has no purpose. What is your purpose in life? For me, for Paul, it's Jesus. He is my purpose for everything. That means that He is worthy of our struggle. That's why I work and struggle so hard. Is serving God easy? No. Sometimes it's a struggle. I mean a real struggle. That's why I'm so proud of Brenda for what she did. But I knew she would. That's who she is. Is that who you are? Are you willing to struggle to the glory of God? And He is the power that works in us. For this purpose also, I labor striving according to His power, which works mightily in me. When I preach, I pray. In fact, you've seen Todd whispering in my ear, putting his arm around me before the service. If you've ever looked, he does that for me. And by the way, I do it for him when he's up here. And his prayer is always, may God work in you and through you so that you speak by his power. Hey, I need that power not only on Sunday morning, Sunday night. I need it Monday morning. I need it Monday night when I meet with the, with the differing committees. I, I need His power. 
How do you make it? How do you do life? By the secret. The secret that He is in you and He wants to work through you by His power. Quit trying to do it in your own strength. Live it. Do it through His mighty power. Mighty power that works in you and through you. He is our reason for living. He is the one who gave His life for us. And we gladly serve Him no matter what the cost. Can you really say that? Whatever it takes. Whatever you want, Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. No matter what it takes. No matter what it costs. At that point, you have crowned Him. Lord of your life. Will you do that today? He is the one and the only. Will you make Him Lord of your life? Crown Him Lord of your life. Let's stand and bow our heads. Father, I pray that everyone here today will hear Your Word, feel the direction, the pull of Your Holy Spirit, and will surrender to what you wish for their lives. There are those who need to be saved. Draw them powerfully, mightily, so that they dare not leave the service without trusting in you. There are others who need to be baptized. Lord, we've we got a baptism service coming up. I pray that those who need baptism will come asking to join the church through baptism. There are others who've done that, but they're not members here. Maybe they've been in a church where there is no membership role. Maybe they've been away and they've come back. Whatever. Lord, I pray for a commitment from them to membership in this church. The church to which you've led them. Father, there are others who need to rededicate their lives. They need to crown you, Lord. And I pray right now, in this service, in this invitation, that by the leadership of your Spirit, that they will make that decision. And I pray that in Jesus' name.